0: If you're a Christian, you should desire and want for you and your spouse and your kids and your family and your church and all those around you, you should desire for them to have and enjoy and experience a spirit filled life. Now, I think that you would probably agree with me that the Holy Spirit is probably the most mysterious member. Of the Trinity of God. Scripture clearly teaches us that we worship one God, one God who reveals himself to us in three persons. He reveals himself to us as God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and of course, God the Spirit. But a lot of people, Christians included, struggle with the idea that God would reveal himself in a spirit. And to be honest, I'll just have to tell you this morning, uh, you know, we'll never fully understand all the details about that until we get to heaven. But there are other people who wrongly think that the Holy Spirit is more of an it than a He. That may be because the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit many times as being like a wind or coming upon Jesus in the form of a dove. But if you think about it, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. He referred to himself as the good shepherd. And we don't relegate Jesus to being a loaf of bread or a sheep farmer. Think about how the Father is referred to in the Bible. The Bible, uh, the Father is referred to as a refuge, as a consuming fire. But we don't uh, make the Father to be a, a pile of rocks or a blast furnace. No, we know that these things are simply metaphors, descriptive words that the Bible uses to help us understand the character of God. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his character. He wants you to know how he thinks, how he feels, and how he experiences certain things. Likewise, there are many unique descriptions that are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, he's not just a force, he's not just a power. No, God is revealing himself to you and to me in a very unique way. In fact, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, when he, say he. He. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he, say he, he. He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit of God is a he. And by using that pronoun he, Jesus is declaring to you and I that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person with a very unique personality and also a very specific work that he's responsible for in your life and in mine. So today, I want us to begin seeing what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit of God, about God the Spirit, and I pray that we're going to begin experiencing this wonderful gift of the Spirit-filled life. We're going to do so by asking a couple of questions this morning. And I think that by asking the questions of the Bible, we're going to find some answers that will really open our eyes to the Holy Spirit. First question, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, if you'll go to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles, uh, that's on page 966 in the Bibles in front of you if you'd like to follow along. The, uh, The Holy Spirit is mentioned here in a very descriptive form. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in the first verse. Follow along with me. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, that is, all the disciples, were all in one accord together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So they heard the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. Then there appeared. They saw something. There appeared to them. Divided tongues as a fire. And one sat on each one of them. So something that looked like a flame of fire. Rested on every one of those disciples. (coughs) Verse 4. And when they were all Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now after this spectacular event, the crowd responded with absolute amazement, and then Peter began to preach, and Peter laid it down low, you know what I'm talking about? I wish I could lay it down low like Peter lays it down low. But he preached a powerful sermon, and at the conclusion of that sermon in verse 36, here's what Peter preached. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, turn away from your sins, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit-filled life. Verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit has been given to all believers. Are you hearing me, church? The Holy Spirit is given to all believers to deepen their spiritual walk with Jesus and to enable us to make an impact on the world around us in Jesus' name. So that's the nutshell. But these verses in Acts really do a great job of highlighting three aspects of the Holy Spirit's unique work in the life of people who believe in Jesus. Number one, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that the Holy Spirit was given only to specific people for specific tasks. But these verses in Acts chapter 2 show us that something drastically changed. The Holy Spirit was poured out on every single believer who was in the house that day. And they began to live a Spirit-filled life. Verse 4 tells us, That those particular believers were not only supplied with the Spirit of God. It says that they were filled with the Spirit of God. They were filled to capacity. They were filled to overflowing. And they began to overflow into the lives of other people. Now if you're listening, say amen. amen. We know that while the Holy Spirit enters all believers... He does not necessarily fill every believer. The Holy Spirit enters every believer, but not every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's one thing for us to have the Holy Spirit. It's another thing entirely for the Holy Spirit to have us. Amen? Mm -hmm. So let us know that that choice falls on us. You have the choice whether you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, whether you want the Spirit to have you. But this specific outpouring of the Holy Spirit was used by God to establish the church in the early years and also to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. And he still does the same thing today. But not only does the Holy Spirit indwell all believers, he also points others to the Savior. Notice in verse 36 there. As Peter is preaching that low, good sermon, he didn't focus on the incredible revelation of that whirling wind in the place. He didn't preach on the revelation of those flames of fire resting upon people. No, what did he do? He pointed the crowd's attention to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of all who believe. The Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. He's always about the business of pointing people to Jesus. And listen, friend, when the Holy Spirit lives in you and fills you, he will increase your ability to point other people to Jesus by the way you live and by the way you speak the gospel good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice what Acts chapter 1 says. Jesus said, But you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit indwells the believer so that they can point other people to Jesus, but he also inspires our message. He gives us the message. In verse 37 in Peter's sermon, which by the way was inspired by the Holy Spirit, there he led many people in the crowd to a point of decision. That was where he was leading them. Not to hear words, not to fill an auditorium, not to just preach. He was leading those people to a point of decision where they recognized that there are some changes that need to be made. There's some things that got to change if we're going to be in obedience to God. So he led them to the point of decision, and did you hear what they asked? Men and brethren, what shall we do? We'll do anything. What shall we do? They weren't attracted to Peter. They weren't attracted to his sermon. They weren't attracted to the incredible events of the day. No, they were attracted to Peter's message about Jesus. That was what was drawn And they said, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit worked powerfully that day, pointing people to Jesus. And the Bible says that 3,000 people responded to Peter's message. Take a look there in verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved. Be saved. Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. My, my, my. The Holy Spirit is promised to all who will turn from their sins and receive Jesus as the Savior and Lord of their lives. But sadly, many, many people fail to understand who the Holy Spirit is and so they remain powerless in their Christian walk and they're unaware of what level of power is available to the Christian if we would just tap into it and allow ourselves to be filled. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But the second question is this, who does the Holy Spirit work with? To address this question, Peter wrote in his book, 1 Peter, uh, a great introductory message that really opens our eyes to the whole issue of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, and I want to share it with you from the New Living Translation. A little bit clearer, a little bit more in our lingo, if you will, but listen to what Peter wrote to believers that had been uh, moved outside of Israel. Here's what he said. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and the Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him, and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. My point in sharing that verse is this. If you listen to that verse, every part of the Trinity is represented. The Father knew you and chose you. The Holy Spirit made you holy. And Jesus Christ himself cleansed you by his own blood. My point is this. The Holy Spirit is God. Are you hearing me, church? The Holy Spirit is God. Did you repeat that? The Holy Spirit is God. He is as much God as Jesus. He is as much God as the Father. If you want to pray to the Spirit, you can pray to the Spirit just as much as you can pray to the Father. If you want to pray to the Spirit, you can pray to the Spirit just as much as you pray to Jesus, the Savior. He is God. So the Father chooses us and makes us His children. Jesus redeems us having died while we were still sinners, and the Spirit draws us to the Lord and continues this incredible work that Olivia was singing about, about making us more like Jesus. So, we clearly see in that verse all three members of the Trinity working together for one purpose, and that is to bring you into a relationship with God. Father made you and knows you and chose you. Jesus redeemed you. And the Holy Spirit draws you and makes you into the likeness of Christ Jesus. So thus far, as the Holy Spirit works with the Father and the Son, indwelling all believers so that we can point other people to Jesus, He's also at work in us to proclaim God's message of salvation to everybody who will hear us. To everybody who might believe. But there's more. There's more when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We have to ask the question, why? Why does God give us His Holy Spirit? Well, you might say that God is giving us His identifying mark. It's very interesting that in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says that we have three reasons. Three reasons why God gives us His Holy Spirit. Listen carefully in verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1. He said, In Him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of God of His glory. So you hear those verses and you immediately recognize, okay, the Holy Spirit is part of God's promise. He is the Spirit of promise. Scripture is reminding us that God has promised us to send the Holy Spirit to everyone who will believe the gospel good news of Jesus Christ (laughs) and those that respond by trusting exclusively in Jesus as Lord. So here's my point. If you got Jesus, you got the Spirit. Amen? If you got Jesus, you got the Spirit. The question is, is there any fruit of that fact? Is there any evidence of that fact in your life? The Holy Spirit is a promise. But the Holy Spirit is also a seal. You heard it there in verse 13. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed. You were sealed. The Holy Spirit kind of serves as a mark of ownership, if you will. When a person places their faith in Christ alone to be saved, God sends them His Holy Spirit to prove that they belong to God. Do you? Do you belong to God? Is the evidence clear in your life that you belong to God? Is the Holy Spirit manifesting fruit in your life in your speech, fruit in your prayer time, is the Lord working in your life and through your life. He's a seal. And if you've got the seal of the Holy Spirit, then you can know that you know that you're saved. But furthermore, the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee, according to those verses, a guarantee. The Holy Spirit represents God's solemn promise, His solemn promise. Pledge, if you will, that we're going to get an ultimate spiritual inheritance. Do you hear what he said? He who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Friend, that reminds me that as wonderful and, and awesome as this <laughs> Christian life is, it's only a foretaste of much, much more to come. You think you like it in the Christian life now. Wait till you get to heaven, praise God. God gives us His Holy Spirit not only to enable us to live right, but also to prove how precious we are in the sight of God. Friend, do you know how precious you are in the sight of God? That's why He gives us the Holy Spirit. But finally, how does the Spirit of God work in our lives? The Bible uses three prepositions. Now, I love English, and I love communication, and I love speaking and studying words, but uh, these three prepositions stand out as different ways that the Holy Spirit works in our life. But first, first I want to share with you from John 14, beginning in verse 15. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We can almost say amen, go home, and... We'd be good right there. Amen? Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and dwells in you. So the first preposition is that He works with. Say with. With. He works with unbelievers. That word with in the Greek is the word para. It means with unbelievers. You see before we come to faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He works with the unbeliever and he reveals that Jesus Christ is the answer to that sin problem that we have. And in John 16:8, Jesus said, "When he is come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now some people just think, well, if I'm having that conviction issue, then it's just my conscience. I just got that gut feeling thing that I need to change. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's far more than that. It's far more than that. Friend, it's the Holy Spirit trying to open your eyes. The Holy Spirit trying to get your attention that you've got a terminal sin cancer and there is only but one cure and that is trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Friend, he's working with unbelievers. But he also says that he, after we respond to Christ, he comes into the life of believers. Say into. <laughs> into. The word is in. e, n. And we've learned that once a person accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, the Holy Spirit comes into the believer and sets up residence in your life to give you the guidance and the direction that we also desperately need. So first, think about it. First, the Spirit starts the process of salvation. John 3, 5, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that is natural birth, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you've got to be born once as a human being, but you better be born again if you want to go to heaven, amen? amen? So that's how the Spirit starts. But then second, the Spirit assures us that once we've made that call, once we've made that decision, once we've made that change, once we've turned our back on sin, he assures us, you have done the right thing. Romans 8.16 says, the Spirit is... That we are children of God. Do you have the absolute confidence, friend, that you are a child of God this morning? Do you know that you know that you're a child of God this morning? Don't leave here until you know the answer to that question. Because it's only then that the Holy Spirit can work in you to begin to change things from the inside out and begin to develop the new nature that he wants to make in you. So if you're still with me, say amen. Amen. All right, y'all are with me. Here's what's important. The Holy Spirit works with us to come to Christ. But then he works in us to make us like Christ. Right? So he works with us to come to Christ. Then he works in us to become like Christ. And finally, the Bible teaches us that he will come upon us to empower us as believers. That word is upon. Say upon. upon. The Greek word is epi, E-P-I. And in Luke 24, 29, Jesus said, behold, I send the promise of the Father, here it comes, upon you. Amen? Upon you, to empower you, to enable you, to fill you, to do my will in and through your life. Friend, that's the dynamic empowering that occurred in Acts chapter 2. Then people immediately were filled with the Holy Spirit. There wasn't just an occupation, they were filled to capacity. They were filled to overflowing and people began to change. And here's what you need to know today. That power that occurred in Acts chapter 2 is still available today. That power that we just read about is still available today. Same Holy Spirit, amen? amen? But it's So, what's happened? And I'm looking for some feedback this morning. Why is it that we don't see a manifestation of God's Holy Spirit like we did in Acts chapter 2? Somebody help me out. We down the Spirit. We down for the Spirit. We down for the Spirit. Agreed. By doing what? Not resisting. Okay. What else? By resisting. By resisting the Holy Spirit. Agreed? That's a good one too. Unbelief is what Janet said. You know, when you boil it all down, if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you, you know what's really occurred? You don't believe. Right? You're not willing to do what's necessary to allow Him to have free reign. Right? Who else? Don't trust Him. Don't trust Him like we should. Right? I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those kind of guys. I'd love to take it into my own hands. I got this. And then I I ended up falling on my face. What was that, Brother James? Just do it it my way. That's right. That's right. Uh, And that that keeps me from being filled. It's a good word. What else? Y'all are on the right track. Not giving up self. Not giving up self. And I think, Dottie, that is the big one. Because here's what we got, friends, in our churches today. We got a lot of believers. We got a lot of Christians. And we got a whole bunch of even disciples who are unwilling to yield themselves 365 days a year. Our churches are full of believers, Christians, and even disciples who are unwilling to keep their fellowship with God unbroken all day long, every day. And God is not going to occupy, especially to capacity, a sinful vessel, a dirty vessel. So the only way we're going to remain in... A a sinless condition is to remain in a relationship that is unbroken. But yet that's where the church and and any other believer finds the greatest challenge. I want you to know this morning that God wants you to live a spirit-filled life. And because that's true, here's my challenge to you this morning. You may not have responded to the Spirit's leading to bring you to Christ yet. I pray you would not waste one more day. That today will be your day. My challenge to you is this. If you have thus far been unwilling to yield yourself so that you can be filled with God the Spirit, that you would not waste one more day. Is that if you have not yet concluded that God the Spirit both can and will empower you to have victory over every element in your life and give you a spirit filled of distance, that you will not waste.